Genesis chapter 6, verses 14, the beginning of verse 15 says this, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Make rooms in the ark. And cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this, everybody say this, is how you make it. I want you to make spaces inside the vehicle of rescue that I've prepared, that I've ordained, not me, Jesus. I want you to create spaces build rooms inside the place and the vehicle of rescue and then I want to make sure that you cover them inside and outside don't just let the the ark float around don't just let these rooms you decide design just kind of go through the motions I want them completely covered on the inside and completely covered on the outside completely saturated with a covering which is what we're going to unpack today and there's only one way to do it it may not bump your or agree with your Notions. It may not agree with your religious ideas. It, I promise you it's not going to agree with your theology. About the time that we put our theology at the same level as God, that's when idolatry begins to take over our life and we start separating ourselves from other people because they don't agree with us about some little minute detail that we think we saw in the Bible and we didn't even know it because we don't speak that language. We're like, oh, I can't go to church with them. They, there ain't no stage. Then people sing loud. Worship's supposed to be stoic. and No, see, see, we've already gotten into our own ideas about God. He says, but I want you to do it the way that I designed it. Before we're seated, before we get into the word of God, one more time, would somebody be willing to join me in inviting God to change our minds about everything that we thought we knew about him? Jesus, we want to start this year off in this first worship experience of 2023. Lord, we want you to do something radical and amazing in this place. Change us on the inside change us on the outside cover the inside of who we are cover the outside of who we are with everything that you are and let your presence be with us in the name of Jesus amen amen let's clap our hands as we're seated praise God praise God go ahead and have your Bible stay open to Genesis chapter 6 but we're also going to be in Exodus chapter 6 if you want to kind of put your, your finger over there or take that little stringy thing that they give you in your Bibles. I got a new Bible for this year because I'm preaching out of a different translation in 23. And I missed my other Bible because it had four of these little stringy things. I just got the one, so that means I'm going to preach shorter. So there you go. If you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona that I want to sell you. And if you'll buy that, I'll throw the Golden Gate in for free. But anyway... So glad that all of you are here. Real quick before we go deeper, let's give a great, great big welcome to all of our family in Kenya, all nine locations of NOLA Church in the nation of Kenya.
We love y'all. The people that are getting ready for us to go over to Albania, let's give them a greeting in Jesus' name. Praise God. God is doing awesome things through the ministry of NOLA Church, so I want to thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for being involved in what God is doing, and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. How many of y'all like change? I'm supposed to say, yeah. (laughs) Change is good, but change is not comfortable. Change messes us up. Like, and here's the deal. We get used to change. Like, I, I normally wear a beard about two or three times a year. I'll shave it off, not for any other reason except, you know, I'm tired of grooming the dumb thing. And like that first couple days when my beard is gone, my youngest daughter looks at me like, I don't know who you think you are. Get out of my house so my daddy can move back in. Olga goes and sleeps in the other room. You know, it's just, it's weird. You know, change, she doesn't really do that. She makes me do that. But anyway, uh, change is, change bumps us. We we don't like change. And we, like, some of us are like, yeah, I like it. No, you don't. You, You might like it when different things happen, but let's be real. You don't really like change. And one of the biggest changes that we can see in the Bible is when God is, is talking to Noah and he's saying, hey, it's about to rain. I mean, that was a huge change because it had never rained. It was so much of a change. Noah did not even know what rain was. It's going to rain. Cool. What's that? You're not going to like it. <laughs> I want you to build an ark. Awesome. What's an ark? Anything you need me to do, I'll do, but I, you're going to have to give me some instruction. And God gives him some instruction. And and what I want to dive into today is to kind of speak through the lens of of what God has for us today. And I'm going to speak the vision of 2023. And literally what I'm speaking is his vision for his house. Everybody say his vision. Not my comfort. Not my idea. Not my, it's getting quieter. Not my opinion. Not my family's opinion. Not the preacher on TikTok's opinion. Y'all to say that one loud. Half of them ain't even preachers. They're just making stuff up. But his vision for his house. His vision for his house. The story of Noah's Ark is, is one of the most known stories in the Bible. No matter what your background is, you've heard something about the great flood. You may have studied in Western civilization in college about Gilgamesh's flood and, and all this, but you, you've heard something about the great flood. You, you've heard about the ice age and all these wonderful things and the billions and billions of years that science tries to act like the world's been around and they, they, they say all these things, but somebody's heard about the flood, right? We, we've heard about Noah's Ark and all the animals and we had our little kitty book. If you grew up going to Sunday school and it was a little kitty book with all the smiling animals looking over the edge and Noah just happy. Look, if you've got all those animals, I promise you, you're not happy. I've got one dog and I love that dog and I, I, I do whatever it takes to make sure that dog is happy. But let's just be real. If there was a bunch of that dog, there would be none of that dog. Like, so you got like these images that we see in children's stories about Noah's Ark aren't really a good depiction. 
But God is literally getting ready to make a major change. And if you, if you go back a couple years and you look on our YouTube and you can see all the, all the sermons that we preach, we actually spent a lot of time talking about this story in a series called Exposing Jesus. I want to encourage you to go look it up. There's a lot of stuff there. But we see all the significance of the ark. And there's a lot of people that believe that the ark uh, that Noah built is a representation of the church. Anybody ever heard that, that the ark is a representation? That's not at all what it is. The church is not our form of rescue. Jesus Christ is our only rescue. The ark does not point to the community of Christ. The ark points to the one who is the Christ, amen? So when you see the ark in, in Noah's story, what you're seeing is, a, is a, an imagery or almost like a moving picture of how God is going to manifest himself thousands of years later. So as we dive into this, I want you to get that understanding. He says, I want you to build this ark. I want you to fashion this ark, and it's going to represent me. And I want you to make rooms. Noah, there's this form of rescue, but I want you. Everybody say you. Look back at him and say, no, me. I want you to build rooms inside this vehicle of rescue. The Hebrew word that is used here in the text literally means this, chambers of dwelling. I want you to build chambers to dwell inside the vehicle of rescue. Y'all see what just happened there? I want you to establish a place to rest and to dwell in this vehicle that represents my identity. Another word that is used often here is the word tabernacle. Everybody say tabernacle. And people go, oh, tabernacle, that's a church building, like a really fancy church building with like all the... The word tabernacle does not mean building. The word tabernacle means place of rest. And literally, the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament... And this is why we're spending some time this year studying this very intentionally. The word tabernacle literally means God himself, the almighty, the ever-present, omniscient, the almighty God is going to dwell and tabernacle and rest in the space that we create for him. You want to know what God's vision is for your life? Create space in your life for him to invade your life and set up camp in your life. Like, I don't know what to do with that. I promise you life is going to be a whole lot better when he is in the room. Amen, amen. It says, I want you to cover it inside and outside. What, what is this talking about? This is a representation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to just have an intellectual experience. That, that's a great starting point. I want you to have an understanding of who God is. I want you to have an understanding of what God wants to do in your life. But I don't want it to just be something that bumps your, your intelligence or even necessarily something that only touches your emotions. I want my presence, I want my character to literally indwell you, to completely cover you on the inside. I'm not talking about the inside of this flesh. I'm talking about the inside of our character. I'm talking about the inside of our soul, the inside of our spirit, that inner part of us that, that we really don't think we have much control over. And we're like, well, that's just how I am. That's someone did this to me or my parents did this. Therefore I am this. I have daddy issues. I have mommy issues. I have friend issues. I have issues, issues. Anybody got some issues, issues? 
you're sitting next to someone that didn't raise their hand, that is your issue. Like God wants to get his spirit all up on the inside of us because all up on the inside of us, there is so much pain, there was so much hurt, there's so much other things going on. God says, I want to do something in your life. I want to do something that radically changes everything about you that begins to bring healing to the parts of you that you can't do anything about. I want you to get covered on the inside. Say, Pastor, why do you talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit so much? Are you trying to make us a bunch of wackos? No, that's not it. I want us to not be better Christians. I want us to be better than ourselves. I want us to be filled to overflowing with the empowerment of the Almighty God so that we can be the witness that he's called us to be. And the Spirit of God does not just do something on the inside. The Spirit of God also does something on the outside. Amen. And God is very specific. I've got a plan. And this is how I want you to do what I'm asking you to do. So often we try to do what God's asked us to do, but we try to do it our way. I know this is corny, what I'm about to say. Just brace yourself. God's plan is not a Burger King plan. You can't have it your way right away. You, you, can't, you can't just pick and choose what you want of God. That's all I'm comfortable with. You're going to stop right there. He's like, I got more for you. I got places I want to take you. Well, I'll go. No, you can't go until you let go of what's holding you right here. Now, now, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to it. But he's going to keep coming back and saying, hey, there's a little more here. There's a little something extra, a little lanyap here for you. I don't want you to stay where you are. I've got something that's so much greater for you. And this this is why it's so important to follow God's plan. And God has a plan. And the same way that God had a plan for the ark that Noah was to build, which represents himself, God also has a plan for his house. I'm not just talking about the building where the family of Nola Church gathers to worship. I'm talking about the plan for God's house, his entire communal, what we call church. And then he also has a plan that applies very, very specifically to every one of us who calls Nola Church home. Because every space that we design inside the vehicle of rescue has a divine purpose. And every space will accomplish his purpose if we're following his plan. I love in in the Bible where you read God saying, this is what I designed it to do, and it will accomplish the purpose that I set forth. God created things, and at the end of the day, he looked at all his creation and said, That is good. Not saying, good job, me. He was saying, that is well done, and it will accomplish the purpose that I used to design it in the first place. When you and I begin to align our hearts and our lives with his plan for our lives, that's when our lives begin to have purpose. You're not going to find your purpose outside of his design for your life. This is why it's so important to lean in and see what he's doing. So what is the vision that God has given for 2023, God's plan for this house begins with his plan for every believer. Pat yourself on the chest and say, this is me. No, say it like you're going to preach with me. Say, this is me. 
Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, 7, and 8. And if you've been coming to Nola Church any length of time, you've heard me preach out of these four verses. Or excuse me, these three verses. These are very, very important. These three verses reveal God's plan of salvation. If someone is going to tell you the plan of salvation and they go anywhere else in the Bible and they don't touch this, they don't know what they're talking about. Because this is the very first time that we see God's plan of salvation being fully laid out and then every other time where the plan of salvation is mentioned in both the Old and New Testament, it is pointing back to these three verses. These are very strategic verses in God's message to his people, the nation of Israel, and then subsequently to everyone who's been grafted into his spiritual bloodline through faith in Jesus And here's what he says. He says, he makes four promises, and here's what they are. I will bring you out. Everybody say, bring me out. That's his promise of salvation. And then he he says, I will rescue you. Everybody say, rescue. That's his promise of deliverance. And then this next one is a little bit longer. He says, I will redeem you and take you as my people, and I will be your God. First, he redeems us. Well, that's saving us. No, redemption is not salvation. That's a misunderstanding of the word. Redemption is a repurposing. You see, life puts a purpose on our lives. Our proclivities put a purpose on our lives. Our weaknesses redefine who we are. Our fears definitely redefine who we are. And so the first thing that God has to do after he leads us into salvation and after he gets the unk out of us in deliverance, he has to start doing a work that is literally taking us and turning us and changing us and reforming us into his original design for us. That's what's so important about redemption. You're not redeemed at the cross. You're redeemed when you surrender to the work of the cross. Does that make sense? Redemption is a process. Redemption does not happen like this. This is why you can't walk by somebody in an altar, touch them on the head, then fall out, flop like a chicken for five minutes and get up and everything's okay. That ain't gonna work. They may feel the power of God in that moment, not saying that that might not be real, But I promise you that little experience is not going to change their mind. It's not going to change their soul. It's not going to change their heart. And it's not going to change their body except for maybe the big old bump they're going to have on the back of their head. Does that make sense? Redemption is a process. It takes time. For the nation of Israel, it took 40 years. And the complete death and burial of everyone over age 40 simply to repurpose them because they had been entrenched in their mindset for so long. All they knew was this. And he's like, this ain't going to cut it no more. Let me talk to you. Some of us get so comfortable in what we think we know about God. And God's like, I'm over here. Like, no, you're, You're not over there because this is how I meet you. And he's like, oh, ye of little faith. (laughs) My my, my mind goes in the New Testament to the story of the lame man at, at, at the pool. And Jesus goes to this very pagan setting 
that was right outside of a very beautiful thing where people thought angels and spirits and demons and everything would get in the water and trouble the water. And whoever got in the water first was going to get this miraculous healing. This was not a place that Orthodox Jews would go in the first century. This is not a place that people who believed in the Almighty would go because that was mysticism. Interestingly enough, we do a lot of that today. We lean into our mysticism because it's comfortable and, oh, it's cultural. I live in New Orleans. It's okay. Voodoo, a little bit of voodoo is okay. Really? A little bit of idolatry is okay. Really? You know, do, do we understand where things are connected? So Jesus takes his 12 disciples and the throng of people that were walking with him. He's like, we're going to the pool. And they're like, what? You're, a, you're an Orthodox rabbi. Why, why are you going to? I have things to do at the pool that you know not of. He goes up to the pool and he sees the layman at the pool. And he says, hey, you want to be healed? Like, dumbest question of all time. What do you think? I've been laying here. I've been lame from birth. And you're asking me, do I want to get healed? Who are you? And Jesus is like, well, get healed. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> I would, but there is no one to put me in the pool when the angel comes to trouble the water. Okay, the, the, you have to understand this. Someone is speaking mysticism to the God of all gods. Acting like it's truth. And he's just like, poor little old stupid. You don't understand that healing is standing right in front of you and you're trying to get me to buy into some mystical thing. If you want to be healed, you don't need to get in the water. Just pick up your mat and walk. Now here's the deal. If lame man had said, no, I want to get in the water because that is my comfort zone. Guess what? He would have stayed on the side of that pool on his little mat with the broke legs for the rest of his life. But there was something about the word of God coming to him that, that compelled him to get up out of his comfort zone, to get up out of his norm, to walk into a change that he was not even prepared for. He's like, okay. And he gets up and he walks away. Change is something that God will use to usher in something new. And redemption is the change. But he doesn't stop there. He's got a, a fourth promise. He says, I will give, and he's talking about the promised land in here. I will give to you as an heritage everything that I promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm reiterating the promise and the covenant that I went into with them. If you're really wanting to be accurate biblically, it's, it's the exact same covenant that God entered into with Adam and Eve right before he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he reiterated when they had to leave the garden because they kept messing up. They leave the garden and the first thing God says to them when they're out of the garden is be fruitful and multiply. God's covenant is never going to be taken away because he is never going to go back on the contract that he signs with his own life in your life. He says, so look, I'm going to save you, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to redeem you, and I am going to give you fulfillment. These are the four promises of God that are timeless. No matter where you go in the Bible, you can see him reiterating these four promises. This is God's plan of salvation. 
Well, I thought I had to say this, say this, jump up and down, spin around three times, sign a card, shake a preacher's hand, flop out on the floor, sing this song, memorize it. No. Salvation, deliverance, redemption, and fulfillment is God's plan of salvation. And, and here's, here's the thing that we have to understand. Each one of these promises represents a step or a stage in a believer's life. At any given moment, you might be in one of these. If you're just kicking the tires, maybe for the first or second time, you're like, okay, I'm not even sure if I'm saved yet. I'm not even sure if Jesus is the Savior. Like You're still in that early stage. You need to be pulled out of Egypt, right? Because you're still in the old mindset. Or maybe, maybe you, you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you signed the card and shook the hand and flopped on the floor and memorized the text and know all the songs like... But there's still a lot of sin and stuff that's like all up inside of you. And somebody know him, don't raise your hand on that. Like we're still like struggling like you're a real human like the rest of us. You need some deliverance. Or maybe, maybe you're trying to do the deliverance, but you're still so stuck in yesterday's mindset. God's going to need to start doing some discipleship and some redemptive work, some chain, chain, chain. <laughs> He's going to have to do some changes on, on your life because he wants ultimately to you, for you and every believer to get to a place of fulfillment in him. It's not God's plan for you to live your life going through the drudgery of not knowing what tomorrow holds. He doesn't want you to go through living through the pain of what happened yesterday or the pain of what happened five minutes ago. God wants you as a believer to experience the overwhelming, overjoyed fulfillment that only comes through his identity. And if you're stuck here, you'll never get here. This is why it's so important to understand this. And so if you'll allow me, I, I want to kind of peel back a layer and show you how God has been speaking with me as the, as the senior pastor of this church and giving us direction, not only here in the New Orleans area, but also in all of our locations in, in Africa as well. Each of these four promises, salvation, deliverance, redemption, and fulfillment is a stage in a believer's life. Salvation is the start. Everybody say start. start. Deliverance is where we begin to engage in what God is doing. Everybody say engage. engage. Redemption is where we grow. Everybody say grow. grow. <laughs> You've heard that ad, it's no pain, no gain. If you, if you don't push the weights, you're, you're not going to get the benefit. You know that? Yeah, that's what redemption is all about, that discipleship spot. And then fulfillment is where we begin to expand. Everybody say expand. These are the four stages of a believer's life. You might be in one of these. The person sitting next to you might be in another one. You might be like me. You kind of have to go back and repeat one of the stages. Anybody a repeater in the house? Man, I like biology so much. When I was in school, I repeated it two or three times. It was awesome, not... I don't like repeating things, but sometimes I'm a little hard-headed. My wife says I'm hard-headed all the time, but we're working on her understanding. But <laughs> sometimes we have to repeat some things. But these four stages are going to play a very strategic role in our life as a church family. Like, well, this ain't my church. Cool, you're going to learn some stuff about your life as a believer. Cool, it just applies across the board. If this is not your church, make it your church. We have really good coffee. This month we're drinking coffee from Columbia. Whew. 
I, I had a cup of that this morning, and it like lifted the top of my head up, spun it around, and my bald spot was on the front. So, <laughs> no, Chris is not my bald spot. <laughs> But these four stages play a part in our lives. They're going to play a part in how we do church. We're going to play a part in how we reach the lost. And the house that we are building for God, the room that we are building inside the vehicle of rescue, is going to strategically connect with each of these four stages in a believer's life in a very unique way. Because God designed His church his community, his body to literally touch people's lives regardless of where they are on the journey or regardless of where they are in their understanding. God said, I've got a way to touch you and reach you. And oh, by the way, church, who calls yourself believers, you need to be touching people here. You need to be touching people here. You need to be touching people. Well, I, I'm, I've been a believer 25 years, but I don't disciple people. I'll leave that up to the ministry. Guess who is the ministry? You. You got to start with the man or the woman in the mirror and then just go, like, go outward from there. You got to start here and then you got to go there. But God's plan is for us to engage in these stages. So let me break it down for you real quick. We're going to kind of go classroom style real quick, and then I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to end up with some worship. What is going to happen at start? Here's how we're going to help people over the next 12 months, and as long as God wants us to stay in this, in this format, here's how we're going to help people who are in that starting phase or that starting stage. Everybody say start. We're going to give them five ways to get connected and start. Worship, prayer, learning, connecting, and in culture. Five strategic ways. If someone is in that starting stage in their life over the next 12 months, this is what we're leaning into. We're not just going to say, oh, your starting point is come to church on Sunday morning. It might be. It also might not be. Somebody might not be ready to come sit in a building with unpainted walls. In Jesus' name, they will be painted this week. But they, they might, be not, might not be ready to walk into a building with the music that loud. Probably not going to change much next week. Just letting you know, just like earplugs and everybody's good. They might not want to sit in a, in a room with you. <laughs> I do, but they, I mean, they might not. So we need to have another place that they can start because coming to church on a Sunday morning is not the only starting place that we see in the Bible, right? This is why if there's a way that we can show people how they can get started in prayer or get started in, in learning about who God is and who they are because of who God is and learning about what God has designed them to do and who he designed them to be, like maybe that's a start for people. Anybody know those smart intellectual people? I, I, I'm not one of them, but I know them. Man, I'm so jealous of them. They know things. Well, the rest of us need to learn some stuff, so like, like, we might need to have a start there, and then also connecting. We need to have a place that people can get started in connection, and then a place to start in culture. Culture is so vital. Culture is what makes vision stick. Because you see, vision is like water. It leaks. 
If we go two to three weeks without talking about vision, guess what we're going to forget about? Well, you might be bored of hearing about vision every Sunday. So the way that we make sure that vision sticks in the house is through a culture that is built around the vision that actually facilitates the vision. For some people, that is the best place to start. Wait, what is this church really all about? I'm so glad you asked. We can give you a starting point in our culture. Let's move on to engage. We're going to give five ways. You're going to start to see a pattern here in a second. We're going to give you five ways that you can engage in that stage of your life where you're being delivered. Everybody say delivered. Anybody got some stuff in you that you wish was not in you? Okay, we're going to give you five ways to deal with that. Creative ways. Prayer. Again, you're going to start to see a pattern here. Discovery. You may not know anything about him. You may not know anything about you. You may not know anything about the Bible. You need to discover those little hidden things that he says, it's my good pleasure to hide these things so that I find good pleasure as you discover them and find them. It's like God hid Easter eggs all over the world. Another sermon. We'll move on from there. And then in community, community is one of the best ways for you to find healing from your issues. And then there's also a way to get engaged in legacy, overflowing what's been poured in. So many people in this day and age, believer and unbeliever alike, are sponges. We just want to get our stuff touched, get our stuff filled up. It's all about me. I got to get mine. And when I get mine, I'm going to be done. I don't have to do anything. That's not true. Well, that's a salvation of works. No, it's not. It's a salvation that creates works because the reason God saved you is so that you can overflow the whole reason he saved you in the first place. I didn't get enough amens on that, but that's good preaching, right, Danny? Praise the Lord. Danny's preaching with me. Everything's going to be okay. Let's go on to the stage of grow. There are five ways that we want to help you learn to grow as a believer this year. And by, by the way, this is not a commercial. Like you're not going to get like a book for $19.95 for easy payments. I'm like, no, that's not, we're not going to send you anything in the mail. I'm just going to show you the strategy of what God has put in my heart for this year. We're going to show you how to grow in some familial growth with your family, not just your natural family, but also your church family. So we're, we're dedicating an entire month. We call it Development month. And in development month, we're going to give you five ways that you can grow. There's familial growth. There's spiritual growth. There's personal growth. Why, why are we talking about personal growth? Because some of us Christians need to learn to be better humans. I'm a Christian, but I am a jerk. We need some personal growth, amen? And that is why we're going to lean into this. And then also some relational growth. Well, I, I have friends. I, cool. But are you discipling those friends and are you witnessing to those friends? Oh, I don't really feel comfortable with that. Then you need to learn how to grow because he's calling you to be a disciple who makes disciples. Well, that's the preacher's job. No, guess who the preachers are? You. 
And then we're also going to be growing in missional growth. I don't know, that's a cool word. What does that mean? Every believer was called into the mission of Jesus Christ, which is to seek and save the lost. He says, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. I want you to teach them everything that I taught you. I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to rinse, repeat, and do it all over again until I return to take you up out of here. And by the way, if you feel like you don't know how to do it, all power in heaven on earth has been given unto me, and I will pour all that power all up inside of you. It's not about having a good life here. It's not about being a better employee. It's not about learning all that you can to be a Christian at school. That's not what it is. It's learning who God designed you to be so you can go take somebody's hand and lead them out of darkness into marvelous light. I don't know how to disciple. That's why we're going to teach you how to do it. I'm wanting to get more animated, but this stage is not finished yet. I'm still carrying a little of my holiday weight, and I don't want this thing to fall over. Anyway, the the last stage that we're going to be helping you address this year is expand. Everybody say expand. We're going to provide ways, five ways, very intentionally, that we can begin to expand this house. We just did some things to expand this house. We ain't done. We're not finished. God's got plans. God's got other things in mind. But we're going to learn how to expand this house. We're also going to learn how to expand our faith. My goodness, I want some believers to get a hold of who God is in their life this year. That he is more powerful than anything that they face. Pastor, can you pray for me? Yes, but why don't you speak to the mountain and say, be removed and cast into the sea? I don't have enough faith. All you need is enough faith about the size of a grain of mustard. That ain't much. Why you think I got more faith than you? I don't. But if I can show you how to activate the faith, that measure of faith that the Bible says that every believer has already been given, then we can start to expand in our faith. And then, not, this is not for everybody because if it was for everybody, everybody would be scared. But some of you, God is doing some work in your life. And you feel that weight start to rest on you. That weight, by the way, is called leadership. And we're going to show you very intentionally how to expand leadership. Like, when you're trying to give me a position at the church, it has nothing to do with a position at the church. It has everything to do with you being a leader in the world that you live in. Miss Ninon doesn't lead anything at the church, but she leads kids at a school every day. I want to pour godly leadership principles into you so that you can overflow into those teachers and overflow into those students because everything in this society is telling those students that they don't need Jesus. So if I can pour Jesus into your leadership, does that make sense? It has nothing. What's Nenon going to do at the church? Keep being Nenon. She going to get on salary? No. She got a job. But I'm going to show her how to use what God has entrusted to her. Does that, does that make sense? Well, what about me? You too. God's got leadership for everybody, but there's other expansion. God is wanting us to learn how to expand the gospel. What, we're adding to the gospel? No, that's not what that means. How many of you don't even know what the gospel is? I, I'd embarrass somebody. I, I don't want to do that. 
I bet you all the money in my wallet right now, like 15 bucks. If you're going to gamble, keep it low. That way it's not a sin. Unless you're playing the lottery and it's like over a billion dollars, and just remember, return your tithe. Everything's going to be okay. But anyway, y'all don't cancel me for that, please. Mom, Dad, if you're watching, I don't literally mean for people to gamble. I've only lost a little bit of my rocker. And, Dad, I am wearing socks today. I know it's a miracle, but expanding the gospel is this. Do you know what the gospel is? Are you living the gospel? Do the people that you do life with know that there is an answer? Are you just making sure that you shine the light under a covering? Yo, there's another way to live. The gospel will set people free. But sadly, we've gotten away from the gospel because we want to talk about four ways to be better college students. Now, we, we got to get back to the Word of God. There is a God. He made everything with His Word except for His image bearers. And He formed His image bearers with His own hand. And then He breathed His own breath and character into His image bearers. And He gave us a job and we screwed it up royally. So He said, y'all can't do this. So I'm going to robe myself in flesh. I'm going to take care of this. And all the sins, I'm going to take them to the cross and I'm going to die for all of you. Well, that's cool. He died for me. No, no, that's not the cool part. The cool part is that He resurrected for you. And the even cooler part is you don't have to live under the weight of anything that has been up to that point. And this is not all there is. My friend, that is the gospel. Then we're going to expand to the nations. We're already reaching into the nation of Kenya. We're reaching into the nation of the United States. But we're going to keep reaching into the nation of the United States. I know a lot of times we don't think we're one of the nations because we don't act like we are. But we are one of the nations. We're going to reach our area. We're going to reach around the world and God is going to be continuing to entrust more things to us. And the structure that God has put in place in this church of creativity and prayer and discovery and community and legacy, these five areas, these five circles are going to provide a structure over the next 12 months for you to begin to grow as a believer. So that's cool. What does that have to do with the rooms in the ark? Sunday, for the last 10 years, has been about building teams to get you involved. This is not a bad idea at all. Because I I know that if I can get you involved, it's more than likely that you're going to keep coming. And the longer you keep coming, the more that you're going to hear the word of God and the more that you hear the word of God, there's that slight chance that God's going to be able to break through and being on a team gives you that sense of responsibility. You know what I'm talking about? That's not bad. That, that all makes really, really good sense. But the problem with this is you already have a job. I don't need to give you a job. I need to give you a space where you can start, engage, grow, and expand. 
I need to show you the value of building a space where you can connect with God so God can begin to do radical things in your life. I don't need 100 people serving on Sunday. That'd be cool, but I don't, I, I don't need it. But I do need everyone who calls this place home to be on fire for God. Amen? So what we're going to do is instead of putting all of our focus on teams over the next year, we're going to focus on rooms. We're going to create strategic spaces in this house. And then we're going to learn how to overflow in these rooms. Let me break this down for you real quick. Genesis chapter 6, 14 and 15. I want you to make rooms, chambers of dwelling. I want you to create a space for me. Then I'm going to meet you. I want you to dwell in that room. And I'm going to meet you there. And I'm going to dwell not just in the room, but I'm also going to dwell with you and in you. And radical things are going to happen. So let me show you five rooms that we're going to be putting some intentional focus in over the next 12 months. The living room, the family room, the prayer room, the classroom, and the theater room. The living room is an environment where people can begin to engage with the NOLA family. If you go out in the living room, it's set up like a living room for you to go hang out, have a conversation, have a cup of coffee, laugh, tell a joke, share your disappointment that your team didn't do what you wanted your team to do, go sports ball. You know, just like it just didn't, like Whatever. That's, that's what the living room is all about. Connect with people. Because you need to connect with people. I just need, I need to go over here by myself. No, you don't. You need to spend time with people. The family room, that, that's a, a cool room. This is an environment where kids can begin to engage with Jesus and with the NOLA fam. We're, we're in the middle of making some radical changes in how we do ministry to kids because I'm ready to see some kids receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not, it's not about handing out goldfish. It's about handing them the bread of life. Amen. We're going to show them how to live with this. And that's what happens in the family room. And then in the prayer room, this is an environment where people can begin to engage with Jesus. As many of you know, our church is a 24-7 prayer room. And for those of you that have been using that, you may have tried to use that over the last couple of weeks and your code didn't work. That's okay. We didn't kick you out. We just reset everything for the year. So if you want to be engaged in the 24-7 prayer room, you can either go on the app or you go to nolachurch.com and, and click on the button. And if you had access last year and your access doesn't work, that's the reason why. It's not because nobody doesn't like you. We just cleared the slate. Everybody got to start over. You click on that, you'll get your own access. You can come up here 24-7, anytime, day or night. But here's something that we're adding this year in the prayer room that's so strategic. Our prayer pastors, Pastors Matt and Alicia, have rearranged their lives to where, to where they are here all day on Tuesday and Friday. From like 10 in the morning to like 4 or 5 in the afternoon, they will be up here. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come up here during those times and they will pray with you. That's something new that we're adding and I can't wait till that even expands. And we're able to do that with more 
And then the classroom is an environment where people can begin to engage in growth in their relationship with Jesus. And on Sundays, this starts in our Next Steps class, which we're taking Next Steps off in the month of January. We're going to start back up in the month of February because we're making some adjustments there to reflect everything that I'm talking about right now. But a really good way to get engaged in the classroom is in development month. Every Wednesday night in the month of February, we are going to be up here at the house. And there is going to be spiritual development going on. There's going to be personal development going on. And there's going to be relational development going on. You can go to any one of those classes on Wednesday night. And I promise you, God is going to do some amazing things in your life. So just put that on the calendar. We'll be making announcements. And it will also be on the website. And then the theater which is where we're sitting now. This is an environment where people can begin to engage with Jesus in an intimate way. What is this room about? Why did we completely rearrange this room? To show you the power of getting intimate with Jesus. Did y'all feel the power of God when we were singing a few minutes ago? I can't wait till... God takes that to a whole other level. Because when he's in the room, dead things are raised back to life. Angels are in every corner when he's in the room. Like, don't invite the angels, invite Jesus. He brings his posse with him. Don't worship the angels. They they work for him. But when he's touching his people, they're like, man, that is something I wish I could engage in. Angels are jealous of you. Don't worship them. Don't ask for them. Ask for Jesus and watch what God can do. We're rearranging this space. We're going to cover this space completely on the inside and on the outside with everything that he is. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to close out. But I want us to go right back where we were before we got into the Word of God. You don't have to stand up unless you want to. Evan, if you could bring the the house lights down. In fact, I'm I'm going to step off of this stage because I don't want any attention to be on me. I want all the attention to be on Jesus. But I wonder what would happen If as a body of believers, we would just begin to invite the presence of God to not just fill this room, but to also fill this room. Does that make sense? Jesus, thank you for the vision that you've given us. Thank you for where you're taking us over the next 12 months and beyond. Thank you for what you have in store for us, God. And thank you for trusting us with your word and this responsibility. But Lord, before we can step out, just like Moses in Exodus chapter 33, Lord, we can't go where you want us to go unless you go before us. So we desperately need to see your glory. So I'm asking right now, That as you hide us in the cleft of the rock and you shelter us, Lord, with your whole identity, Lord, I pray that you would begin to pass your glory in front of us right now. Worship team, if y'all could just get ready to sing with me. 
God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, every broken heart, every broken life would begin to be ministered to in this moment as we begin to lift our hands and as we begin to lift our hearts in the presence of Almighty God. I pray that you would begin to breathe your spirit and baptize this house with the anointing and cover us on the inside, cover us on the outside with everything that you are, Lord.